Greetings, everybody. Welcome to Giants Confirmed, a They Might Be Giants podcast. I'm Trevor Akrath. I'm Matt Ribeiro. Matt, welcome to the show. We're doing a we're doing a podcast about They Might Be Giants. Like, out of all the things that I have knowledge of, this is like one of the ones that it seems obvious for me to have a podcast about that I just haven't done yet. Which is why I thought of you when the idea for a show about them came to me. I, I recently got really into They Might Be Giants, you know, as you do in your when you're a neurotic mid-20-something. And I thought, hey, this is a band worth podcasting about. Who do I know with an extensive knowledge about this group that a o is always down for doing a podcast and b would readily accept an invitation to a show he didn't have to produce and edit oh god yeah <laughs> you were just a natural choice god um uh, yeah no i'm actually like a, a demon that's summoned by the word podcast if someone says it then i just appear on the post we have that in common so it's <laughs> it's it's only right that we're finally doing a show together it's been too long it's been too long and the show in question is going to be a series of track by track reviews focusing on the studio albums of they might be giants starting with their 1987 self-titled debut. I just, I just, uh, just finished my re-listen of the album today, so that's it's it's all fresh. Great, I've been living with it for a couple days. It's it's never been one of my favorite of theirs, but mm-hmm. obviously, you know, doing some research for this episode has shed a lot of new light on it. So I'm excited to talk about it. Before we start talking about the album, though, let's give a little bit of our own backstory about how we first came to. They might be giants. I believe you have a, a longer backstory with this band than I do, really. So I'll let you go first. It's fairly simple for the most part. Um, my early life on the internet was spent primarily on Pokemon forums, but eventually I ended up on the Lemon Demon forums. That's the the forums for Neil Cisariga's work. Great band. Of course. And just by natural osmosis, almost every single person there and Neil Cisariga himself are giant fans of They Might Be Giants. As I would expect, yeah. they Lemon Demon seems like a gateway drug to get into all of these other weird, absurdist kind of postmodern groups like They Might Be Giants. Yeah, like I just ended up with a healthy appreciation of They Might Be Giants, Weird Al Yankovic, and Devo mm-hmm. after being on that forum for mm-hmm. a lot of years. I would put like Ween in that club too, I think. Yeah, Absolutely, Ween yeah. as well. And essentially, for a long period of time, when I just started like listening to music, really, like after you know years of just you know having the radio on in the background, uh, there was a portion of time where my library was approximately eighty percent either Lemon Demon or They Might Be Giants, <laughs> because both of them have massive recorded outputs, and both of them are the kind of bands that really encourage people to really really dig into the back stuff like stuff that's not necessarily on the albums bonus tracks uh outtakes demos and the like and so they formed a significant part of my early library and have remained there since and even their like album material warrants really deep dives in a way that a lot of other bands music doesn't I-, I was first introduced to they may might be giants uh through a compilation that a friend of mine gave me in high school i think it was a user's guide to they might be giants have you checked that out before yeah that was yeah so i listened to that and that kind of got me into like flood and lincoln but it wasn't until a couple months ago that i really did like a like a deep dive on a lot of their other stuff like i finally listened to apollo 18 and like their 90s albums stuff like that and then some of their mid 2000s stuff and i found myself going returning again and again to uh, 
this might be a wiki, the fan run, they might be Giants Wikipedia, that is just like an exhaustingly, lovingly packed site with all kinds of fun trivia about every one of their songs. So good. As I spent more and more time on that site, I realized that, oh, this is a band totally worth doing a podcast about. So here we are today. Yeah. Even if we just go through their studio albums, like I think they're up to 20 now. Yeah. Yeah. We have, we have <laughs> that, quite that's, a show That's enough of episodes us. to cover yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, this might be a wiki as one of the most exhaustive wikis on the web is uh, like the the Johns are very, very big fans of that wiki themselves. I, would, I hadn't mentioned this up at the top, but I have actually interviewed both the Johns. Oh, sweet. At different times. I did not know that. Yeah, I interviewed John Flansburg in 2013 uh, when I was still in school for radio. And I interviewed John Linnell like a month and a half ago. Nice. Yeah. And uh, they actually use the wiki essentially whenever they're going to a city on tour they use the wiki to see what they played last time they were there so they could shake it up a little. That's so interesting. Like, because it's like the, the set lists are pretty exhaustive once you get past like, maybe like 2005 is probably the point where like they're a bit scattered. But basically anything past from when the wiki existed, which I think was before 2005, honestly, uh, anything past from when the wiki existed, those set lists are perfect. I imagine you've seen them live before. I have. I saw them in Detroit the first time. That was in 2011. Because uh, they just they haven't toured Canada properly since 2007. I think was the last time they played a like a normal show here. They played a kids show in 2012, but I couldn't go because it was in, it was just on a weekend that didn't work for me. And then I saw them play two run up to New Year's shows in 2012 on the 29th and 30th of December, and those were half Lincoln, half Flood shows. Oh, that sounds tight. It was so tight. That the, sounds great. I couldn't go to the last one, unfortunately, because I had other plans for New Year's, but uh, that was the one that they had Moon Hooch opening, which would have been sweet. They always get really interesting opening bands. I've only seen them once. I saw them back in 2011, I believe it was, at a small club in New Jersey called The Stone Pony, which is in Asbury Park. I believe they've actually written a song about it. On venue songs, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one. That was that was really cool. They played a really interesting, eclectic set list. That was actually my first exposure to quite a few of their songs. Like, I think that was the first time I heard The Mesopotamians, which has become one of my favorite tracks of theirs. That's a live staple, too. Like, that, they almost always play that one. It was so great. They played it really early in the set, and I was like, oh, these guys rule live. That song is also, I was, when I was talking to John Linnell about just, like, essentially how they feel about doing like any kind of political leanings in songs. It's like, yeah, that song's just basically about the Iraq war in its own way. <laughs> really interesting. But it's also about being in a band. They're really open to interpretation with their lyrics. They, they kind of just put a sentiment into it and see where it runs them. Yeah, and I am really looking forward to digging into some of their lyrics with you. Oh, yeah. But before we get to that, let's talk about the Johns a little bit by themselves, because we got two of them. There's John Linnell and John Flansburg. Yes. Linnell almost kind of strikes me as... The band's kind of primary songwriter. I'm not sure if that's a bit of a faux pas to say that, but he seems to be at the head of a lot of their more well-known material. Except for the song that won them their first Grammy. Is that um, Boss of Me? Boss of Me, written by John Flansburg, sung by John Flansburg. I, I actually didn't realize that. A frustrating experience that I've had with this band is like an inability to tell these two apart most of the time yeah i i most it's tough for a while i had to just refer to the wiki because the wiki has a very convenient sung by field yes i like that <laughs> a lot they will even specify like which band members are doing which part like for i think it's uh rhythm section want ad they specify that flyers is doing the no no no's no 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 yeah yeah that's, yeah. that's great but it was yeah but it wasn't until like i did the research for the show that i realized that flans was singing puppet head like there's 
I it's it's tough for me to tell them apart most of the time. Yeah, uh, generally what will happen is is fans will prefer John Linnell and his songwriting, but generally won't say it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Flansburg, he does have a lot of really good songs. It's not like he's a bad songwriter. If you ask me to guess, I would imagine the typical, like, they might be giant super fan experience would be to get into the band through Linnell's songs. But by the time you've spent, like, countless hours with the group, you really only listen to, like, the weirder short Flans experiments. Like Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh yeah, uh yeah, Anna Ng and Birdhouse in your soul, those are great. But I mean, talk to me about talk to me about like Rabbit Child. God, Rabbit Child is very good. I'm very excited to get to that one. Me too. That was definitely one that kind of like revealed itself a little bit more to me while preparing for this show. So I'm excited yeah. for that. But we've got a few more things to say about the band first. I wanted yes. to kind of just go through their history because it's really interesting. There's just a a couple little interesting details I'd like to get out there. So uh, I thought we'd establish that they first met as teenagers growing up in Lincoln, Massachusetts. Yep. They began writing songs together while attending Lincoln Sudbury Regional High School, but they didn't form a band while they were kids together. They attended separate colleges after high school, and Linnell joined the Mundanes, which was like a new wave group from Rhode Island. They're good. And then the two reunited in 1981 after moving to Brooklyn to the same apartment building on the same day. I always, I always find that that's just the most beautiful happenstance right there. They assumed the name of a 1971 film, They Might Be Giants, which uh, stars George C. Scott and Joanne Woodward. And that's in turn kind of taken from a passage from the 17th century Spanish novel Don Quixote about how the titular character would often mistake windmills for evil giants, as you do. <laughs> God, and there's—I actually haven't seen the movie. I need to make a point to watch no, it. No, yeah, just, just just for the sake of maybe it. that's a future episode of the show. Who knows? There we yeah. go. We got this. A common misconception about the band name that I wanted to talk about is a lot of people apparently think it's like a reference to themselves and an allusion to their future success. But in like several interviews, they've said that that's not the case. Like apparently they really only like it because of how paranoid it sounds. Yeah, and they saw it as an expression of themselves as a fledgling band kind of looking at the possibilities that they could explore. Yeah, and I also think that a lot of people don't necessarily put more thought into their band name than it would sound cool. I feel like any meaning ascribed to it is ascribed afterwards. Totally, totally. <laughs> like, they're just like, they might be giants, that's a pretty cool name, but it could also mean this. And the paranoid sound really works well for a lot of their music, I think, too. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. 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 Most, a lot of their songs are internal monologue. A lot of them aren't necessarily sung to people, although there are plenty that are. And paranoia is a recurring theme that comes up a lot in, in the earlier work, especially, but even in the stuff to today. So the duo began performing their own music uh, around New York City in like the early to mid 80s. Flansburg would play guitar and Linnell would do like accordion and saxophone. And they were accompanied by drum machines, usually, as well as like pre-recorded stuff on audio cassettes. Uh, their atypical instrumentation, along with like their quirky subject matter for their songs, quickly like drew them a large following. I almost kind of picture them at this stage of the career as like local cryptids of like the <laughs> like New York music scene. Like apparently between 1984 and 1987, they served as the house band at a Lower East Side performance club, Dorinka. Yeah. And I can just like picture people being like, hey, next time you're in New York, you got to swing by Dorinka. Maybe you'll see that really weird band with the accordion player who like Sings about existential fear and death and shit. I love the most about, like, their early days is that they would just play a lot of bills with, like, punk and no-wave bands, which seems, like, so wildly different from their their music and their output, but, like, that's just what was in vogue 
in the early 80s in New York City. And they like do fit in with that kind of stuff a little better than I think you might expect. Like, yeah, as I've like become more familiar with their music, I see a lot of parallels between them and like other weird absurdist art pop bands, like the Magnetic Fields, that kind of stuff. I can always see a lot of talking heads in their early stuff too. Totally. Definitely. I feel like you, you can't exist in early 80s Brooklyn and not feel the talking heads. And like you said earlier too, Devo, it's definitely a big influence yes. here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, another thing I wanted to mention is that the performances during this time would often feature absurdly comical stage props, such as oversized fezes and large cardboard cutout heads of newspaper editor William Allen White, a lot of which would go (laughs) on to show up in like their early music videos. God, the William Allen White picture is literally the favicon for TMBW. So great. (laughs) Like, that thing is so entrenched in their imagery. So they released their self-titled debut album, which we'll be talking about today, in 1986. It became a college radio hit, and everything after there was kind of history. Talking about it would be getting a bit ahead of ourselves. So do you want to start talking about their self-titled debut? Oh, absolutely. Cool, let's get to it. Is this album commonly referred to as uh, the Pink Album? People call it the Pink Album a lot. It's I, I really, it's got such a striking cover. I like it a lot. It's kind of this parade of like weird stuff coming down a road like surrounded by strange billboards like i think one says truth or sandwiches <laughs> i i never really like take a huge amount of time looking right into that artwork i'm just gonna just open it up real big right now it's worth taking a closer look at i think um on the tmgb knowledge base they've got a picture of the back cover too which shows them riding on top of that giant dog that you can kind of see on the front cover i like that a lot i just love the sign that says 24 hour coffee because coffee is a theme that comes up so much that it's literally a tag for lyrical themes on the wiki there are some very interesting lyrical themes on the wikis like my favorite (laughs) is uh some of my favorites are funny but sad and aversion to work (laughs) aversion to work is a really good one Especially because they ended up writing a song that's entirely that for one of their children's albums. Some other good ones. Just looking at like song themes for the song that this uh, show is titled after. Oblique cliches or idioms, oxymorons, and contradictory <laughs> statements. I mean, like it's, it's so funny. I just really, really love the wiki for how detailed it gets with this kind of stuff because like no one would think to categorize songs by some of these categories no not at all But the people who run this wiki are a breed of their own they are truly like i'm i consider myself a pretty big they might be giants fan but i probably couldn't even count myself in the upper 50th percentile no these people are fanatics like yeah it is wild every song has an interpretations tab that you can spend hours getting lost in i'm i'm fairly certain that that interpretations tab on tmbw predates like songmeanings.com <laughs> and it v- like vastly uh, predates genius it's probably a lot more lovingly detailed too there's one person who was uh they were like a fixture of tmbw like back in like 2007 2008 when i first found it who would make an effort to go on every single song and interpret it as if it was about sex great i love those kind of characters it's really good <laughs> And, like, I could not tell, even to this day, how serious they were. So is there anything we want to say about the album in general before we kind of get into the tracks? I I think this is kind of, like, um, taken from a certain perspective, this one almost kind of sounds a little dated now, going back to it. Like, there are a lot of, like cheap 80s like midi instrumentation and drum machines that like might be a bit of a stumbling block for some listeners i think they use the drum machine on their first four albums but like some of these songs these songs were recorded in a lot of different ways uh like some of the tracks are just completely unedited from their demos some are just slightly different from their demos because a lot of these songs had existed in various forms for like three to four years like on various demo tapes some of them, the recordings on this album are like the third or fourth recording of the song that they actually put out. 
So, like, it really feels like um, it was kind of just them putting a bunch of songs they had together just so they can have an album to put out. And there's a widely kind of circulated 1985 demo tape, right? That has a lot yes. of early versions of these songs. I didn't go back and, like, kind of spend a lot of time with that. I did hear a couple excerpts from it. Do you have, like, a lot of experience with that? I ha- I spent a little bit of time with the demo tapes and, like, the 1985 Bill Krauss demo tape that you mentioned. He was, like, their producer for their first several albums. He has a song named after him on this record. Yeah, absolutely, Bill's Mood. He was... It's almost like an extra member of the band for a while. The third giant. Yeah, exactly. And the recordings are, like, they're just, I, I find a lot of them, will have, they, they, they have a lot of alternate lyrics on them. And that was true of, like, the Dial-A-Song versions of the songs as well. I got to show you some of those when we get to Flood, because some of them are really good, like the alternate lyrics for uh, uh, Your Racist Friend and the like. Yeah, Dial-A-Song is definitely something we're going to have to talk about at some point. That was a whole big thing. Oh, my God, yeah. yeah. And, well, yeah, someone just uh, just recently posted a whole bunch of recordings that they had made from dial song using like a suction microphone on their on their phone oh, fun. like way back in the 80s and 90s they'd recorded these like analog and then just digitized them this year wow and like alternate lyrics and it's all like crystal clear recordings and it's it's really cool yeah but there's a lot of interesting stuff in there yeah so like the demo tapes will have a lot of alternate mixes and stuff like that but like i'll generally just listen to the album versions for everything except for like don't let's start because I really like the the single version and so does the band because like future compilations only ever use the single version of it. I noticed that and we'll talk about that when we get to that song. Yeah. But let's let's start at the beginning with track one, Everything Right is Wrong Again. Everything right is wrong again, just like in a long, long trailer. All the dishes got broken in the car. First track, and I think this is a great opener. Yeah, there we go. This feels like the appropriate place to start with this band. Everything Right is Wrong Again feels like such a strong mission statement for the music they're making, because when it comes to They Might Be Giants, you know, you kind of have to unlearn everything you've already learned about, like, traditional pop music, and kind of everything's on the table, anything goes. I just like that the song refers to itself, because it's not the only album on the record that does that. And I also like that when they sing, and now the song is over now, the song still goes for a solid minute afterwards. It's got it's got a whole nother <laughs> verse after it, and I really like that second verse, where everything kind of slows down and sounds like really weird and trippy, and it's hard to understand what they're even singing. Man, that stuff like must have been so much more fun to make when you had to really try to do it. Like when you're recording analog instead of digital. You're thinking about, like, that kind of, like, overdub reverb effect is a lot harder to perform when you're doing it analog. Yeah, they weren't just, like, putting stuff in, like, Ableton or GarageBand or anything like that. Pretty sure they still record analog to this day. They, they record a lot of analog stuff. This would have been, like, a really interesting record to be, like, a fly on the wall for the production for, I imagine. There's, like, so many weird sounds and effects, and I know they even kind of cheated on some of the later parts, like, recording... Like, we'll talk about it when we get to Hideaway Folk Family, I think, but, like, some of the background instrumentation isn't actually backwards. Yeah, they have a lot of fun with that kind of stuff. Uh, This song name checks a movie called The Long, Long Trailer, which is a comedy film made in 1954, starring Desi Arnaz and Lucia Ball, which uh, (laughs) the They Might Be Giants wiki describes as a movie about a newlywed couple traveling across country in a huge trailer that is more trouble than it's worth. I really love oblique references. Like, it's, it's not necessarily a winking reference, it's just a reference. Yeah, and if you like oblique references, this is definitely the band for you, I think. Oh my god, yeah, no, it's absolutely great. And it's just it's just a point of specificity. Like, you don't necessarily understand what they're saying by that if you're not familiar with the movie. You still get the sentiment from it, even if you don't know the movie. 
but knowing the movie makes the reference better. It works on several levels. Yeah, exactly. Some really great lyrics, too, that are like really indicative of like what we've got to look forward to through the rest of this experience. One of my favorites is uh, draw the line dividing laugh and scream. You know everything that I know, so I know you've heard the voice that makes the silent noise. Just really <laughs> kind of creepy, like what are they talking about? But like also like wacky and inviting at the same time. Yeah, and especially just with how like wacky they get with the... Uh... Just like the tempos of the song just switching all over the place. You never really know what what sentiment they're going for with this one. Or like pretty much any song on the record for that matter. Yeah, no, they they, they like I feel like this this song this album they have a lot of albums that have stylistic variety, obviously, but this one is really all over the place. Totally. Like that was I think that's really indicative of their early work. I kinda miss like uh like songs with country western references because there's a few of them on this album. They don't really do that anymore. They would return to that like less and less as they like went on. Like there's some of that in Lincoln. I think maybe there's like one song of like that on Flood, but after that, yeah, you kinda miss that. Especially because a lot of the songs they're like doing voices for. But this one's just yep. a standard Linnell doing Linnell. Right, but it's a great intro to the album. Apparently this is like an influence on um another artist that you mentioned earlier, Weird Al Yankovic. He has a song called Everything You Know Is Wrong that I know some people kind of interpret as one of his like stylistic parodies of another band. Oh, it absolutely is a style parody of They Might Be Giants. I, I, I was familiar with that album that it's on, Bad Hair Day, when I was a kid, but I like didn't really know too much about They Might Be Giants. So returning to that song, like researching the show, like it is like I would love to hear They Might Be Giants cover that because it is so They Might Be Giants. Yeah, no, I just remember from when it came out, I remember hearing something about the fact that they weren't, like, super happy with it because of how goofy the lyrics are, but, like, the way that the lyrics are goofy, because They Might Be Giants lyrics are obviously goofy, but they never like being called, like, weird rock or geek rock or quirky. Like, those are words that they don't necessarily enjoy being referred to as. Right. And, you know, the Weird Al song has, like, lyrics about weasels biting your face. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, like, from a production standpoint, he really nails their early sound there. Like, there's all these great little cheesy organs and drum machines. Oh, he nailed it. Like, 100%. Just really well done. It's, it's, it's like, it's a very loving parody and you, you could, you could really tell that in, in the way that it's done. Yeah, as are, as are all of his parodies, I think. Yeah, no, he doesn't often come from a place of malice because I don't think he finds that fun. I don't think Weird Al Yankovic has a single malicious bone in his body. No, he's way too nice. So on to track two, put your hand inside the puppet head. As your body floats down thirsty with the burn smell factory closing up. Is it sad to say you will romanticize all the things you've known before? It was not, not, not so great. It was not, not, not so great. As you take we got a Flans track. It's kind of a Flans track. Uh, Linnell wrote the music and the chorus, and then he wasn't really satisfied with the verses he wrote, apparently, so he let Flans write those, and then Flans sang the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. It's That, that actually that happens less and less as they go on, because most of the times they will... Uh, write the songs they sing on like fully like that's that's their their standard modus but uh yeah this is one of the ones that it kind of ends up all over the place it's very scattershot i really like the more collaborative approach to it too i wish i kind of wish we saw that more often i also just really love the uh like just like the rhythmic modes that he goes that that flans goes on in this song yeah there's a lot of really interesting very cool vocal delivery on these tracks when it comes to melody like as your body floats down third street with the burn smell factory closing up is it sad to say you will romanticize all the things you know before it was not 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 so great like like just very uh very like staccato percussive kind of stuff 
and a lot of uh, a lot of really fast vocal runs in between like more drawn out syllables. I really like at the end when he goes, "Quit my job down at the car wash." Just really good. And yeah, that staccato delivery that you mentioned is just so good here. Yeah, the <laughs> "Quit my job down at the car wash" is his. Uh, what, like 30 years advanced they, uh, Breaking Bad reference right there? Basically, yeah. Didn't have to write <laughs> no one a goodbye note. <laughs> I like that a lot. And fuck your eyebrows. And fuck your eyebrows. Something that <laughs> I saw while doing some research is that the synthesized instrument heard playing arpeggios for most of this one and playing chords through the chorus is the funny preset on the KCO MT100 <laughs> keyboard. Oh, God, I wish I was more into gear. Yeah, yeah. As much into gear as these guys are. It's... Because they, 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 that's actually all over the wiki for this album is like what kind of keyboards they use, where they got the keyboards from, because they were so excited to talk about it in interviews. Yeah, like a lot of the a lot of the instrumentation on this album is like quote unquote fake, but there's just so much interesting production stuff going into it and like a lot of cool gear used. Yeah. One of my other favorite parts is the uh, the bridge with Flans going memo to myself, do the dumb things I gotta do, touch the puppet head. Right before the quit. Man. Yep. But yeah, this is this is an early highlight. It really feels like the world of They My Vagina's kind of opening up to the listener, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh I don't know if you've if you noticed the the rating section at the bottom of the wiki. All the songs are rated out of the total of 868 unique songs found on the wiki. <laughs> I did not notice this. Let me let me run to that. So real this quick. one's at number 19. It's one of the I think out of the tracks on the album, it's one of the higher higher ones. Oh. Huh. Cuz they're they're all over the place. You got you got some songs in this album that rank in like the low 600s, and then you got ones like this that are right near the top, along with uh, "She's an Angel" and uh, "Rhythm Section One." Ad two of two of my other favorites, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Let's keep going though. Um, number three. There's only two songs in me, and I just wrote the third. Don't know where I got the inspiration or how I wrote the words. Spent my whole life just digging up my music's shallow grave for the two songs in me and the third one I just made. I like to imagine the uh, the line about the president in this song. I would just I'd like to imagine Ronald Reagan actually saying the words ascribed to the president because of course Reagan was president when this album came out. What what does the president say again? If you only got two songs in you, boy, what do you want from me? Great. But yeah, this is one of those ones uh, that you were kind of that you kind of referenced earlier. It's like a, a bit of a country song. Yeah, and also a song that refers to itself. Yeah, yeah, totally. Entirely, the whole song. That's the whole bit. Very self-referential. Yeah, it's apparently the third song that they actually learned to play. And I. I I'm not a big country fan, but I really do like these early country experiments we see from this band because, like we said earlier, they grew up in uh, they grew up in Massachusetts. So I just see this as them kind of putting their own unique spin on the kind of music that they must have been surrounded with as kids growing up. Yeah, and they absolutely just put like accents on for these songs, and they're so good. Very highly affected. Yeah. John Flansburg got the fake patois, and John Linnell got the fake patois. <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, one interesting note, the verses in this song contain every possible three-line rhyme scheme. There's ABB, AAB, and ABA. These are the kind of things that you know weren't intentional, but you're just really glad someone picked up on. I could see that being intentional. I could see the Johns sitting down and going, let's write a song that has every possible three-line rhyme scheme. And then let's call it number three. I mean, possibly, but at the same time, like, I almost feel like 
that's something that would happen more often by accident. Definitely. I just, I wouldn't put anything like that past them. They're just such oh, no. weird creative geniuses. As much as you don't want to call it nerd rock, they are giant nerds. Like it's... Big nerds. They're, they're definitely nerds. nerds. Music for nerds by nerds. Yeah. What do you think of the baritone saxophone sample that's kind of squeezed into this one almost a bit discordantly? I did not know that it was a sample until I read the wiki this morning. Yeah, it definitely easily could have just been one of them in there in the studio doing something weird. It was, yeah, because like Linnell doesn't play the the Barry sax as far as I know, but he does play like the bass clarinet. A very it's a very similar sound. Doesn't he? Isn't he playing a saxophone in the um, music video for She Was a Hotel Detective? I'm fairly certain he wasn't actually playing it, but okay, <laughs> he's definitely playing it in the video. It looks like he is, but apparently, yeah, that's a sample that they that uh, that Linnell found um, on a record while helping his roommate clean out a deceased couple's apartment, <laughs> which feels pretty. <laughs> Par for the course for this band. Oh, what a good what a good detail. Hey, I'll put this sample from this dead person's record on this uh on this album we're working on. Perfect. Really good. <laughs> Next we've got one of their big early singles, Don't Let's Start. Us. Good song. Uh, when asked about it in interviews, John Linnell says the song is about not let starting. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Just a really good title for like a late 80s kind of new wave synth pop song too i think yeah and the nothing from this album ended up charting but this video did get a lot of play on mtv just because like you know mtv was starting out they needed videos to fill the space and here's a bunch of weirdos from new york that had a bunch of videos this has the um like quintessential early they might be giants line for me i think which is no one in the world ever gets what they want and that is beautiful everybody dies frustrated and sad and that is beautiful yeah because like we've been saying, they don't like being like branded as like a nerdy or quirky or joke rock band. But a lot of their music is like kind of like, for lack of better words, like wacky and goofy and kind of weird and silly. Yeah. Well, I mean, the next line there is deputy dog dog to ding ding, deputy a deputy dog dog to ding ding, deputy a dee. Yep. That is so. the next line. <laughs> but every, every now and then while, while all that weird absurdism is flying around, they'll hit you with like a line like this that is so like weird and kind of dark and creepy and it'll really just make you do a double take and i love their ability to get that kind of reaction out of you they always know like just when to do it too i think also looking on the wiki just today i didn't realize how many things actually reference this song right i wanted to talk about one in particular a piece of media that makes quite a few references to a lot of different things that's like really popular right now you're familiar with the upcoming movie ready player one right unfortunately apparently that line that we just talked about is like heavily featured in the book which is like about some kid in the future logging into he, he'll like log into some kind of like um online simulation game called oasis and oasis his yeah password for getting in is no one in the world ever gets what they want, and that is beautiful. That is, like, like that line is, like, completely divorced from the point where he references that he binged all of They Might Be Giants' discography. And it's, like, I feel like the only reference made in the entire book that isn't immediately followed by a wink. Right. Because, like, my, my friend just read through all, the entire book in two days mm -hmm. while, like, sending us excerpts because... You know how, like, when you say something sucks, someone's like, well, you should actually read it. Yeah. Uh, me and my friends like to take that as a challenge. Mm-hmm. So she read the entire book in two days and hated every minute of it because it's bad. It sounds insufferable. Oh, absolutely. And at one point he's uh, like, the, like, the whole premise of the book is that essentially culture stopped after like 
I want to say like the like late 90s because this guy who created this simulation was obsessed with the 80s and hid an Easter egg in his game that would essentially give the person who found it a bunch of money and also control of this virtual reality. So culture stopped because everyone became obsessed with the 80s so that they could win this competition and get a bunch of money. Ugh. So he says that he binged the entire They Might Be Giants discography, which, like, if culture stopped in the mid-90s, would be, like, four albums. And yeah, their albums, I didn't Their albums aren't that. long. Their albums aren't actually long. Like, they have 19 songs on them, but they won't break an hour. If it stopped in the 80s, it would be what? This album and Lincoln? It would be two! It would be two albums. <laughs> Fuck Ready Player One. So you said you prefer the single version of this song to the album one. Yeah, because it has the... Uh, like like the, the the overdubbing on the I don't want to live in this world anymore, and that's really the biggest difference, other than like uh, some some instrument overdubs at different parts in the song. But just like the I don't want to live in the world this world anymore sounds so much better on the single version, and that's like a really central part of the the end of the song because it's between the choruses. I I usually listen to this version, but I did check out the single one while kind of preparing for this one. I know that's the one that they, like you said earlier, they squeezed that one onto a lot of their compilations and stuff like that. It's it's the one on user's guide. I, I must have heard it back then, but I wasn't super familiar with it. I, I, there's not a huge difference between the two. It's really just that one overdub part. Yeah, and I think they, well, it's like they consider it the definitive version, so that's why it's the one that they put going forward. Like, even, even uh, then, the earlier years, which is essentially supposed to be, like, these are the things we released at this time, even then, they change it to the single version. I really like that album cover for that with the uh, ship in the bottle. Oh, it's very good, yes. Very good, very good. <laughs> They're really just generally very good with album art. And like, I, I feel like that's something worth even discussing in its own episode because like, they have so many different people involved in, their, in the artwork of the band. Just the general aesthetics of the group are always so on point, I think. Yeah, yeah. the early stuff, like uh, like the... The album art for uh, for the Pink album was uh, done by Rodney Allen Greenblatt, uh, but a lot of the early stuff was also done like John Flansburg and John Linnell both did like graphic design kind of stuff. And it really is like so singular too. They had a really strong correlation of image and art. Like they they really didn't just like poop out an album cover. Like they 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 put thought into it, and I always really appreciate that. Yeah, everything has a lot of careful consideration going into it, so that it's a really tight finished product yeah exactly so next we've got what i think is one of the more underrated songs on the record another country tune hideaway folk family like this one a lot yeah the subject matter not super into it but like this is definitely one of the most beautiful moments on the record in terms of like songwriting and vocal delivery and just arrangements i, I really dig everything going on yeah here. it's got like i really really like the harmonies that they do in the chorus oh the harmonies are so good and this flans is doing lead here and linnell's backing him up right yes just the vocal chemistry is fantastic one of the like probably the best on the album for two guys with really nasally voices they managed to do some really impressive harmonies it's beautiful i love it they, they're just so in sync with each other and i think like that's something that's really stuck together while they've you know been a touring band for a bajillion years like they've never been a band that stopped and I find that fascinating. That's great. I think that if there's anything that solidifies They Might Be Giants as like one of the like classic great bands of all time, it's the fact that they've just 
always manage to keep doing what they're doing. Yeah. Because being in a band for as long as they have, yeah. especially one that's just like two people, I feel, has that can't be easy. Yeah, it's like like the other members of the band are like, you know, more strongly integrated now. But then even then, like I'm pretty sure Marty Beller's been in the band since like 2006. So they're running it like over 10 years with this lineup even. Yeah, it's really impressive and respectable. A lot of the members of the band have been there since like the mid-90s. I'm pretty sure Danny Weinkoff and Dan Miller joined probably right after... Uh, John Henry, where they kind of just assembled whoever they needed to do a full band album. I have very limited knowledge so far of their like non-John uh, personnel, <laughs> but we'll get to all that later on down the road. Yeah, don't don't fact check me on this. They might be Giants fans. It's fine. We'll get there. So this is the song I mentioned earlier that has the fake backwards singing on it. Like it's it's got vocals that sound like they're backwards, but apparently in an interview, uh, Linnell has said like it's just him and Flans singing forward, just going like. Which like makes me think of like Twin Peaks or something like that. I think <laughs> didn't they record like the back like the backwards vocals for that by learning how to say the words backwards and then reversing it to go forward? Yeah, which is funny because they uh, they might be giants ended up doing that again on uh, on Apollo 18 on Dinner Bell. But yeah, like that that would have been right after Twin Peaks. So I feel like it's. It's almost like a, a two-way reference. Definitely. Stream. I feel like David Lynch would like They Might Be Giants. Oh, yeah. They've got the same kind of taste for the absurd, I think. Yeah, but it's like, yeah. I can't think of anywhere where they would have crossed in any way. Would have been great if They Might Be Giants showed up at the Roadhouse in that third <laughs> season of Twin Peaks. That would have been wild. Fuck, that would have been good. What would they have played? Uh, careful What You Pack, probably, from the else. Interesting. You know, some, something that would actually fit in the, the Sonic universe of Twin Peaks. Sure, I could see that. Or they'd play number three, and it would just be like a country jamboree. <sighs> great. That would also be good. I really like the bridge of this one, too, with the um, astrology report. Yeah. Hello, this is Leslie Down with the Daily Home Astrology Report. Taurus, contemplate domestic turmoil. Aquarius, abandon hope for future plans. <laughs> You're not a Taurus or Aquarius, are you? I am not. I am a Libra. I, I, I would love to just have my astrological sign shouted out. I know they might be giant song, though. I'm a Leo. <laughs> I mean, you could have your. You could always just go to a uh, Weird Al Yankovic song yes, for that. I remember that one too. Totally forgot about that song. Jeez, so good. Somebody needs to do a Weird Al podcast. Not me. Not, <laughs> not me. me. Not me. Someone else. Somebody else. Another great lyric from this one is uh, "Sadly, the cross-eyed bear," which is kind of a mutation of like um, it's an old Sunday school joke or something. I guess like uh, yeah. they would take hymns that say "the cross-eyed bear" yeah. and turn it into "the cross-eyed bear." Yeah. Which reminds me of how I first heard the lyric from... You Ought to Know by Alanis Morissette? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Literally what I think of every time I hear that phrase. It's not fair to deny me the cross-eyed bear that you gave to me. <laughs> I remember first hearing that song and like being aware that it was about a breakup. So I just thought the speaker and their former partner had like purchased like a cross-eyed stuffed bear at some point <laughs> and they were fighting over it in the breakup. Yeah, exactly. I want to give Alanis Morissette like a plushie of a cross-eyed bear. I'm sure she'd really appreciate that. Of course. One last thing about the song I wanted to say is that uh, traditionally when they perform it live, apparently they request the audience to scream as if they're in hell during the bridge. I'm really sad I've never heard this song live. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I I can't even imagine seeing them do the vocals for it. What do you think of this next one? Uh, 32 Footsteps. Dude, 
trees and why'd you go? Where's my baby? I don't know. 32 footsteps, scattered to myself, 32 footsteps. It is a very goofy song. Very goofy. Not one of my favorites on the record. No, it's not really much I could say about it. It's it's It sounds fine. It works in the sequence of the album. I like the way that the the drum machine drum machine syncopates with the with the guitar lines, like just like the do do do. Apparently, Flans uses a special twenty harmonica on this recording, which allows the player to bend notes. There's some really impressive harmonica playing on this track. Yeah, no, it's very good. Not a huge fan of the like fillery vocals, like the bing bang bing along, sing sang sing along, ding dang ding along. That just keeps going. Yeah, he sure goes through most of the alphabet with that. He goes through most of the alphabet. I do like the some of the lyrics later on though. 32 lies my ears, never saw when the floorboards gave way. 32 walls come tumbling down and the night turns today. 32 infantrymen running in place. 32 boxcars, all of them have your face. That's really weird and evocative. I'm not sure what's going on there, but I'm kind of into it. Just thumb over to the interpretations tag and let's see what people are going with this. (laughs) I I just can't because then I would live there, you know? Like if I I dove down that interpretations rabbit hole every time I wasn't totally sure what they might be giants were talking about, I would never visit another website. I mean, even then you'd never necessarily be sure. This is something that came up in my interview with John Linnell. I'm like, how do you feel about interpretations of your song that aren't necessarily with like what you intended with the lyrics? And he's like, he basically gave an answer that's akin to death of the author. It's like, the words are out there. Do what you want with them. They're all right. <laughs> yeah, basically. Next up, we've got, what, Toddler Highway, right? In the morning sun, around 7 o'clock, the parking lot fills round toys are us. And my little girl, she will get away, ride her bike down Toddler Highway. You don't really have to say much about this one, although it isn't. <laughs> the, the anecdote about, uh, about the demo recording is really good. Uh, can you tell me about that? I, I don't think I have it in my notes. Yeah. Uh, we repeatedly failed to improve upon the demo recording using fancier equipment. So this is just the exact version from the 1985 demo tape. Oh, nice. It's it's short enough. I mean, if you're going to not re-record one, just throw the one on that's like 20 seconds, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's a... Uh... It was a Toys R Us thing that um, essentially they would put a bunch of toys out in the parking lot before the store opened and let kids try them before they came into the store. Also, rest in peace, Toys R Us. Yeah, they're closing their stores. Are you familiar with like what's going on with Toys R Us? Um, essentially, new people took over the company and gutted it and essentially just tore the copper wiring out of the walls. It was a company... It's such a shame. It's a company that was perfectly profitable. Yeah. But essentially... it is more it's very the producers-esque in that it's actually more lucrative to people to just drive a company into the ground because they literally like the same investment company that that's doing this basically are the same people who did it to kb toys why why the toy stores man why you got to take those away right like are you are you good friends with jeff bezos and just want the amazon dominance i keep seeing people saying like oh yeah toys r us just another just another retailer that couldn't adapt to amazon and stuff like that and i'm like i've never been to a toys r us that wasn't fucking jammed i want to like send all those people links to like articles talking about predatory lending and stuff I, I want like a t-shirt that says Toys R Us did nothing wrong yeah it's just yeah and I'm sure anyone who had any kind of pension or benefits had them stripped away just like when Sears went bankrupt in Canada it's it's great it's a real shame there are actually yeah. a lot of songs on this album about the foibles of capitalism in, in their own way <laughs> it doesn't surprise me that, that comes up in their early work a lot yeah that's a real mainstay for the band yeah but not much to say about Toddler Highway we've talked about it longer than the song goes this next song though really interesting because I don't like it much as like you know as a song but there's a lot of cool stuff going on here Rabid Child no Please don't take me away. 
again, like, I didn't know much about this song going in. I just thought it sounded really fucking cool. Like, the, the, the synth lines that go through the, the verses are, like, uh, they're, they're basically like an organ. So, yeah, this is, like, another pretty short, like, Flans track that's really weird and unconventional and has some strange instrumentation going on. And this one is about kind of a child who stays at home and just spends all their time talking on their CB radio to a couple of their friends. I always felt like this one is uh, is kind of akin with uh, with Chesapeake's face. Well, it mentions Chesapeake's face. Yeah, exactly. It's got that reference in there. I feel like they're just two sides of the same coin. Like they're about someone who's really isolated for Totally, yeah. This one reasons. is, it's just a really effective portrait of like an outcast whose only form of communication with the outside world is through like a hobby that she and her peers don't even really know much about. Like, Flan says yeah. that the only word, only CB phrases they know are hammer down, which means speed up, and rabbit ears, which I think is CB slang for radio antenna. So I just love the idea yeah. of like an outcast who isn't even really able to communicate with the few people that they can talk to very well. Yeah. Like, that's a really just a, like a sad idea. Somebody who has like really no connections, and even the ones that they do have are very limited. This song is rated way lower than it should be. What is it? 508 out of 868. Those Flans tracks don't get enough love. They really don't. Have you read about the like bizarre music video for this one they apparently filmed but never really released? No, I actually have not seen much about that. Like I I think I remember trying to tra- trying to track it down. Apparently it features the Johns and Bill Krause uh, in masks of and Linnell playing an accordion with a large bicorn-like hat on his head. <laughs> it was recorded in Flans' old apartment with regular video cameras, and I think the camera was positioned in one room, shooting into his kitchen. So that was pretty much the whole thing. The full video was never really released or seen publicly, though a short clip was included in Gigantic, their 2003 documentary. Good documentary. AJ Schnack, the film's director, really fought for its inclusion, apparently. (laughs) I promised fans that I would ask John and John about including the full piece and was quickly but politely laughed out of the room. Right. (laughs) That's really good. And we got Nothing's Gonna Change My Clothes. Another good Linnell track. All the people are so happy now, their heads are caving in. I'm glad they are a snowman with protective rubber skin. But every little thing's a domino that falls on different dots and crashes into everything that tries to make it stop. I like this one a lot, and it's a really good mid-record, like mid-show climax i think a good side a closer yeah although i like could not begin to tell you what this track is about the lyrics are really weird it's i think it's just linnell stringing turns of phrase together Probably like don't just... don't let start is also very like that there's actually there's yeah there's not much on the wiki for this one either it's just like originally titled nothing's gonna change my clothes the song's title is a reference to nothing's gonna change my world from the song across the universe by the beatles cool that's all they have and then it's just the lyrics and the lyrics are just all the people are so happy now, their heads are caving in. I'm glad they are a snowman with protective rubber skin. What's that mean? <laughs> if a snowman has protective rubber skin and he melts, the water will stay in the, the, the skin? So is that, or is, is he saying that we're all just snowmen with protective rubber skin because we're all like 90% water or whatever? The only line I could ever really think of off the top of my head is this, just a, a pair of shiny marble dice. Some people call them snake eyes, but to me, they look like mice. Right. Because just the way he sings that song, is that line is yeah. really good. I also really like, in the mirror, it reflects a tiny dancing skeleton because like dancing skeletons are... I don't know, just for some reason an image I associate a lot with early They Might Be Giants. Which now they're just they're just a meme thing. Just a meme thing. <laughs> so Oh, we we're we're coming up on the next single. Another single and the opener of Side B, She Was a Hotel Detective. One, two, three, four. All right. Woo! 
check her out. Forget Woo! about it. I like this one. This one's a lot of fun. It kind of sounds like Ween recording a theme song for a Disney Channel cartoon or something. I'm amazed there's not more to do with this one. Like, it, it almost seems like it's a theme song for a cartoon. Why has there never been a They Might Be Giants cartoon? Like, that's the question that I have. Like, why have they never gotten their own show? I mean, they've had their music featured in, like, Looney Tunes, famously. Tiny Toon Adventures, specifically. But, like, why have we never gotten a They Might Be Giants animated show? I don't know, but, like, they, they do good theme music. They did the theme music for the Oblongs. They did the theme music for Malcolm in the Middle. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure Courage and the Cowardly Dog is also them. Oh, interesting. They were also um, they were in Home Movies. Yeah. Have you seen that episode of that show? That's a classic. Very, very good episode. The, I like the, that one a lot. The music, the Rock Camp episode. Yeah, and uh, this this song has a music video that's kind of almost like a half They Might Be Giants cartoon show because it's got animated depictions of the band kind of exploring a hotel intercut with a really rockin' live performance that we mentioned earlier that has Linnell kind of fake playing a saxophone yeah. and Flynn's really mugging it for the camera, which is great. The cartoon Linnell does not look like him at all. Not really. They did not. They just did not nail that likeness. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard it's hard to not get Flans right though. You put some big ass glasses on him and you got it. But yeah, I just I would really love a cartoon show about these guys. Even like a Flight of the Concords esque series where it's just about the two of them. I would really enjoy seeing that. I feel like there's no way that they would play themselves in such a thing. But like I feel like you could get people who could do passable impressions of them. Yeah, I mean just put that nasal on. Put that nasal on. Put that nasal on. <laughs> one more quote I have about this one from Linnell that I wasn't really able to find any additional details about, which is a little disappointing. Uh. He said, the record company chipped in for John's hospital bills after he <laughs> injured himself recording the guitar solo on our single Hotel Detective. Now that we know his blood type, it makes performing the song a little easier. <laughs> it's That's very, very good. They're just... They're- they give good interviews, I gotta tell you that. They're interesting fellas. This next song is definitely one of my favorites. She's an angel. Maybe like my number one on the record. As as far as the, the wiki is concerned, it is their number six song of all time. Well deserved. It's the, it's the second highest ranking of songs on the album. Don't Let's Start is at number three. Okay. This one is such a joy of like weird little anecdotes and charming details like... I love the fact that John meets the angel at a dog show. Yeah. And then they drive around in Shiner cars. Like, yeah. Love the whole thing. Everything going on here is great. This has been on a lot of uh, of different releases as well. Because this, this one very often will make compilations. I love the way this one slowly unfolds. Like, it's not until 30 seconds in until the beat picks up and Flans comes in with that, like, weirdly out-of-tune guitar. Yeah, very good. And then the chorus absolutely, like, lifts off when Linnell picks up his accordion. Very, very good slide guitar playing on this one. Is it a real slide guitar? I saw a quote from Flans where he talks about how, like, I think it might just be, like, a regular guitar in an alternate tuning. Oh, no, yeah, no, it's fancy tuning. Yeah, the high E is dropped to a D, and that makes it sound like the slide guitar, and it's so cool. That's just virtuosic playing right there. They really don't get enough credit for that kind of stuff, I think. Oh, no. Well, yeah. it's like it's like Weird Al's band. 
I hate to, to bring up Weird Al this many times is just going to be natural. It's going to happen. It's, but like, yeah, that happens on a They Might Be Giant show, for yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. They're just they're all consummate professionals. They're all just really, really good musicians. Yep, and dedicated that's, that's to their craft. And that's true of this band as well. Do you have anything else to say about this one? It's just really good. It's really good. I really like the, the lyrics are so good. When you're following an angel, does it mean you have to throw your body off a building? It's hard to like even tell what he's saying there just because of the unique vocal delivery they have on so many of these songs. But once like that phrase hits you, you're like, whoa. Yeah, no, it's it's very good. I like this next song a lot too. Youth Culture Killed My Dog. A song about people who are very get off my lawn. Like it's it just seems like the like the natural conclusion of that line of thinking. These damn youths and their stuff today ended up killing my dog. My dog <laughs> killed himself because he's so out of tune with the youths. Such a weird spot to end up to take that thought to, though, you know? Right? Right? <laughs> like specifically killed my dog. Yeah. It starts out with this kind of like James Bond bass line, which the first time I heard it, I was almost worried that it was going to be like some kind of spy panache or something. But then it turns into like one of the best jams on the record. That's just about like toxic music scenes and all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah. it's like I feel like if they were really entrenched in like the no wave and punk scenes, they'd get to hear a lot of this kind of shit. Definitely. Yeah. This is very much like a song about that kind of stuff, I think. This is one of the... um, demos that I have a little more experience with as well because I think it got a particular shout out on the wiki like they talked about how it goes a little harder than the album yeah. like it has more electric guitar and Flans yeah. really shreds his voice at the end just like going all out screaming it's a real great performance <laughs> for him I, I it's really good I don't really think I can choose between the demo and the studio version in this case and yeah, I was saying earlier, like a lot of the songs have been re-recorded a lot of times. Uh, Bill Krause said that this was the, the one for the album was either the fourth or fifth recording of the song that they'd done. So it was one of the ones that they'd been that they'd been doing a lot of work with over the years. So it's kind of fascinating that they ended up with such a different version uh, than the demo tape on the album, considering how many times it's been, I guess, refined in fancy air quotes. But Right. But I mean, it speaks to, I think, like... How tight the song is speaks a lot to that like refinement process. Yeah, absolutely. Flans claims that Elvis Costello cited this as one of his favorite They Might Be Giant songs, which I think makes a lot of sense. I would love to hear him cover it though. That would be great. It could a lot of early They Might Be Giant songs could be like weird Elvis Costello songs. Yeah, and I just I really like the idea of covering They Might Be Giant songs because you could do they're still talented musicians and singers but i would like i always like to hear people with really really good voices do their songs because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like you know they are very nasally which is something that i've come to appreciate because it puts their songs in a vocal range that i can sing always a benefit yeah i have an absolutely nasally voice it's just it's how i've always talked the songs on this album are so much fun to sing oh they're so much fun to sing i could belt so much from this record absolutely uh, oh we get to the song uh, without any john vocals boat of car Sing bass. Daddy sing bass. Daddy sing bass. Daddy sing bass. I took my boat for a car. Boat of car. 
This is my vote for the weirdest track on the record. Yeah. An album with a lot of weird tracks on it. I think this one takes the cake. It has a Johnny Cash sample and one of it's like John Flansburg's then girlfriend singing some completely nonsensical lyrics. I took my boat for a car. Burr. Really good. <laughs> Hans Zimmer stole the idea for the uh, the soundtrack. For, oh my God. <laughs> for Inception from the Bwoms from this song. I, now I need like a recut of the Inception trailer <laughs> with just that. With no, with yeah, just Boat of Car right playing. <laughs> Great. But yeah, this is this is a really weird one. I think my like the friend of mine that introduced me to like uh, the user's guide was a particular fan of this one. They were like really into just how weird it was. Yeah, I, I, uh, I thought this song was on user's guide, but I guess it's only on the dial song compilation. But nonetheless, the fact that they would choose this song for a compilation is great. Yeah, I mean, it, they, they they throw a lot of interesting picks on the compilations. Like, I think they usually throw a spider on there. Spider's good. Spider's good. Yeah, definitely. I'm not saying anything <laughs> bad about spider. <laughs> uh, there's not much to say about it, though, I suppose. No, it, it's it's pretty short. Pretty short. The the just the, the I just really like the uh, the way that the traces of your fingernails that run along the windshield like it's basically like it's like a declining scale. It's just I I really like the way that the lyrics go there. I actually just thought it was one of the Johns doing a weird voice the first couple of times I heard this song. Do they do the vocals live? Yeah. Okay. When they do first album shows, they play it because they play. They they rarely skip songs when they do album shows. They will, and we'll get into that when we talk about Lincoln. But uh, I would definitely be interested to see a live performance of this one. It must be. I can't imagine like, I can't imagine being at a non-album show and then just like throwing this in the middle of a set list. My mind would be blown. Yeah, though they they do kind of stuff like that all the time. Like they played uh, the song "Wicked Little Critta at their <laughs> at their uh, Minneapolis show just last week, and like no one expects to hear that song live. That's great. I love that they do that kind of stuff. There's a lot of bands that do like a lot of deep dives for their uh, their live sets, but I feel like no one does it quite like They Might Be Giants or The Mountain Goats. Nobody has as weird deep cuts as this band, I think. Yeah. We get Bill Krause's song in the next track. I was born in a lighthouse. My mother was the sea. I called school each morning when it occurred to me. Life's just a mood ring we're not allowed to see. And this is what it said to me. Absolutely Bill's mood, which is apparently a bit of a Bob Dylan um, reference. Like he would throw on like irrelevant emphatic adverbs to his songs like Absolutely Sweet Marie and Positively Fourth Street and obviously Five Believers. So that's an interesting shout out he gets here. I know so little about Bob Dylan. I would never have noticed that. Apparently some interesting trivia in 1987, uh, the band threatened to sue the electronics chain Crazy Eddie because of a commercial they claim used parts of one of their songs, Mr. Me, and this track. I'm just trying to imagine the context in which you thought this song would be appropriate for an electronics commercial. How'd you make that work? I really don't get it. I also like that this this song had the um, the guitar track for this song was literally from an answering machine recording. Interesting. The guy who the guy who they had on it, Eugene Chadbourne. Like a Frank Zappa, Captain Beefheart collaborator. Of course. They wanted him to do guitar for this song. And he literally, he gently played his acoustic guitar into Dubway, the, like the studio where they record. They recorded right into the answering machine without musical accompaniment or guide. Turned out pretty okay. Yeah, no, it, like, it works. Yeah. I also, I, I really like the weird bridge with that sampled like, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
It's good. Really interesting track. There's going to be a lot of me just saying it's good. It's good. I don't necessarily have something to say about it, but it's good. You just love to hear it. Do you have much to say about this next track, Chess Piece Face? What's going to happen to Chess Piece Face? There go I, but for my face. All I know could be defaced by the hooks in the life of Jess Peace Face. I feel like we kind of just went into it already. People do. The people like to think that a lot of uh, John Flansburg fronted tracks are about his brother. Right, I saw that, but apparently it's about a coworker of his. Yeah. He's also commented that the song's title was an abstract way to describe a disfiguring disease. Makes sense. Yeah, I'm like not surprised to see disfiguring facial diseases like coming up in early. They might be giants at all. Yeah. Seems pretty par so, for the course for them. But yeah, like out of songs that are that people think are about his brother, there's several of them. This is one of the earlier ones. Then there's Hot Cha and Flood. He says the main song that's actually about his brother is Boss of Me. I don't, I don't know too much about his brother. His brother's like uh, an anti-nuclear activist who changed his last name from Flansburg. That's the main thing I know about him. He's, he, he goes by the name Paxis Calda. Interesting. He just, when you see like a picture of him, it's just like, how are they even related to each other? I'll have to do a little more research on him, I guess. We got another country song in this next one. Sometimes I feel like being wispy. And once in a while I feel like being dry But we're doomed and we're drowned by this feeling we surround So I hope that I get old before I die I hope that I get old before I die. A rare track with isolated vocals from both Johns. You know, one of them takes the first verse, one of them takes the second verse. Yeah, not just one doing background. I really like that a lot. I kind of wish we would see it more. And they're both doing like character voices for the whole thing. Right, so you can barely even tell. Man, I hope that I get old before I die is is extreme mood in late capitalism because we're none of us are going to be able to retire. No, not at all. I just I really <laughs> love how many songs on this album are just like weird reflections on death and like anxious fear of dying and stuff like that. It's it's so good. I, and it comes like, up a lot. It comes up a lot, and I think that really speaks to like where these guys were at when they were recording these albums. Something I, I noticed like uh. In my most recent, like, They Might Be Giants kick, where I've really gotten into them, I'm pretty sure I'm now, like, around the same age as they were when they were recording this record. Yeah, which is weird to think about. Right, like, 26, 27, 28, that age range. Yeah. So, like, I feel like they kind of, you know, as, like, one weird, erotic, late 20-something to another, I feel like they really get me. Yeah, absolutely. I just love I just love songs about, like, capitalist anxiety. It's just very good. <laughs> They've got another one for you then. Alienations for the Rich. This song is dedicated to all you modern day troubadours out there. And I think I know who you are. I gotta get a job. I got to get some pay. My son's gotta go to art school. He's leaving in three days. And the TV is in Esperanto. You know that that's a bitch But alienation's for the rich And I'm feeling poorer every day A lot of, lot of fun lyrics in this one. I really love the opening. I gotta get a job. I gotta get some pay. My son's gotta go to art school. He's leaving in three days. <laughs> is, this, um, is this one of the only songs where they swear? I can't think of too many songs where they swear, but here Flan says, you know that that's a bitch. Yeah, there, there's a couple of songs where they swear. 
They're mostly just, they're more foul mouthed than live performances than anything else. Right, okay. That makes I sense. I found Jomai has Son of a Bitch in oh, it. Oh, yeah, of course. That's the other there was literally There was literally a thread in the, the They Might Be Giants Facebook group this week about swears and songs. Hmm. And I think there's something on the new album that made it come out. So Flans originally wrote this while in an earlier band called The Turtlenecks, which I think is a great name for a band. And you know, a lot of a lot of They Might Be Giants songs are kind of, as we've talked about, hard to interpret. But here we actually have like a pretty solid quote from Flans explaining exactly what this one is about that I kind of wanted to read. Yeah. He says, um, it's actually not a concept we invented, and I can't remember the older iterations of the expression, but the current popular expression that runs parallel is first world problems, although I would never want to make a song called that. The notion is that because their troubles and issues are immediate, working people don't have time to feel alienated from the world in the abstract, highfalutin way that existential dread is described. That seemed like an interesting point of view to write a song from. Just like Oki from Muskogee has an interesting point of view that isn't necessarily first-person direct. But the more I write about the whole concept here, the more suspect the basic notion seems. It's really good. Oddly transparent for them. Right? I mean, they're they're pretty forthcoming in interviews. Like, they, they, they write a lot of really abstract lyrics, but when you ask them about things... They'll generally roll with it they, if they have an, a, the, like you know a full idea and a good recollection of what they're actually thinking. Which I really appreciate, yeah. especially as somebody who's recently launched a project devoted to talking about their material. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, it's very very useful for us to to use. So this was one of the songs uh, played at their very first live show, and apparently Flans introduced it as a song that was written by my father, Mr. Earl Flansberg. I feel like they're just being goofy at that point. They like doing that, don't they? Oh, yeah. Next up, we've got The Day, which is like one of the more perplexing tracks on the album for me. The day Marvin Gaye and Phillips got married The trees all waved their giant arms And happiness bled from every street corner and by planes bombed with fluffy Yeah, I don't really have much to say about it. I almost always skip this song when I'm listening to the album and it's only a minute and a half long. It kind of references like a fictional wedding between Marvin Gaye and Phil Ox, an American protest singer from the 60s. Yeah. So where are you where are you going with that, buddy? Really kind of weird, surrealistic piece that doesn't really end up going <laughs> anywhere, but hey, maybe some people are into it. Rated number 778 out of 868. Doesn't surprise me. No, no one likes this one. This this last song on the record, though, The Closer, might be my favorite on the album, though. Rhythm Section 1 ad. It is uh, pretty consistently my favorite They Might Be Giant song in general. It is I absolutely fucking love this track. And I love that it's like tucked away really far back as the closer on their debut album. It's it's a perfect closer. They're very good at album openers and closers. They are. And this one, the way 
everything right is wrong again feels like an introduction to them. This feels like a doubling down on everything that they're about. Like, it's really just a song about being in, like, a weird band, I think. Yeah. That leaves a lot of people scratching their heads. But at the end of the day, you're just going to keep doing what you're doing regardless of what other people say. Do you sing, like, olive oil on purpose? You guys must be into the eurythmics. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's so good. I just, I picture Flans like bashing his head against the wall during that part. Oh, yeah. I mean, that kind of like really exaggerated motion was a staple of their music videos at the time, too. Flansburg making a face and jutting his head forward. Yeah. Um, I really wonder how it feels to be Marty Beller playing this song now. Because, like, this song was basically about how, they, like, a, like a, lot, a lot one of the parts of the song is just, like, we don't need a drummer, we got a drum machine. But now, like, the drummer plays this song. Yeah, a lot of the stuff they talk about on this one would kind of be contradicted by later decisions the band would make. Like, they talk about having a chick singer. At several points in their career, they would do, like, stuff with female vocalists. Yeah. They have a lyric referencing, like, a wall of trombones, and I think famously on, like, the John Henry album, they added a lot of horns to the project. They use horns a lot now, and it's really good whenever they can get them out for live shows because, oh my god. I I love horns. Like, I am a horns guy. Well, yeah. My other favorite They Might Be Giant song is probably Dr. Worm, which we won't really, we won't have a huge chance to talk about because it's not on any of their main studio albums. We'll talk about, uh, what is that on? The Spine Severe Tire Damage. Severe Tire, we'll talk about Severe Tire. We gotta talk about Dr. Worm. That's that like yeah that's maybe my favorite they might be giants very song. good that's very great. good and uh yeah so crucial good. point is i did not it took me forever like i listened to they might be giants a lot when i was just getting into music and another band that i'd gotten into at that point was modest mouse through another member on the forums and i don't know how long it took me to click that isaac brock was saying laugh hard it's a long way to the bank which is a line d- lifted directly from this song right i couldn't i couldn't believe that when i first heard the song i was like oh that's that modest master yeah apparently he he hadn't heard this song though i feel like that's a lie there's no way apparently and this is like this is a weird place for it to come out but modest mouse do a commentary track on that episode of home movies we referenced yeah set, where he's like oh this th- these characters are voiced by they might be giants they actually have a song where they say, laugh hard, it's a long way to the bank, which we say in one of our other songs. We hadn't heard that, so it was just kind of a coincidence. That's crazy talk. I liked, I, I, I'm just going to choose to ignore that and just think it's a nice oblique They Might Be Giants reference. That just, Can you really trust Isaac Brock? Yeah, no, I can't at all. I don't know. That feels better in my heart to think of it that way. What do you think of that? Um, what do you think of the incorporation of Powerhouse, that Raymond Scott tune that uh, Linnell plays on the accordion here? It's probably best remembered as the assembly line motif when used in musical scores for like Warner Brothers cartoons. I'm trying to think of it right now because I can't. Right, right. I think it's a very good use of it. It's just a really good bridge. I like it a lot. It feels like purposefully employed to kind of. It's like they're comparing the music industry to an actual industry. I think that that's that's probably what they were going for with it. Also because it's just something that sounds really good on an accordion. Right, totally. Like it seems like it's designed for an accordion. You try to play that on another instrument, it just doesn't work. Yeah. This is also like one of my probably one of my lyrical favorites on the record too. There's so much good stuff going on here. I really like there's a place for those who love their poetry. It's just across from a sign that says prose only. <laughs> And that kind of double, that works on like two different levels, like prose only, like prose is in the opposite from poetry. I think prose is in like professional, so it's kind of implying that poetry is for amateurs. Yeah. It's really interesting. I also love the way he says poetry specifically. Poetry. The 
vocal delivery here is like at its best. I think there's so much good stuff. Yeah, and like there are parts of this song that I still can't sing properly. <laughs> no, no. The whole that run about like the chick singer and the wall of trombones and saluting you the way we know that's a hard part to get out. That is the part that I cannot do. I could do almost I could do almost every other part of the song because like this has I, I have a playlist on my iTunes that's basically just songs with the five star rating. And it's the thing it's the comfort playlist, right? Like when you just want to put on you want to put on these songs that you know so well that you couldn't possibly like you could just drown out any every other thought because these songs are playing. Right. Of course. And it's been on that playlist for years. And so like I'm walking somewhere and there's no one around. I will sing out loud because, you know, it's just, it's fun to do when you have music blaring in your ears to, you know, continue that energy forward. And I can belt most of the song and I'll just give up around that part. But it's very fun, very, very fun to sing. I really love hats off to the new age hairstyle made of bones. Hats off to the use of hats as megaphones. Speak softly, drive a Sherman tank. Laugh hard, it's a long way to the bank. It's really good. It's very good. I just, I wish I, I, I had an opportunity to do the I Might Be Giants karaoke. This is why I need to live in a large American city or at least visit one. Do they not have karaoke in Canada? They don't have They Might Be Giants karaoke. I want to do right. a whole night of They Might Be Giants karaoke. I'll hear about, I'll hear about like a bar in New York doing Mountain Goats karaoke. And I'm just like, that's such a niche thing that you need to gather so many people for. And there just are not enough people who live here to make that doable. Yeah, but a They Might Be Giants one, that would be fantastic. Like that just seems like it would be really fun. There's so many tracks. I would want to rip up on karaoke, definitely. Oh, it'd be absolutely perfect. And like I'm I, I, I could feel confident doing them because we have very similar vocal ranges. I can't do the lows that uh, Linnell can do, but I can almost do a perfect Flansburg. My other favorite lyric is we salute you the way we know. I just I picture both Johns kind of flipping the bird with both fingers here. Just four middle fingers straight up. Yeah. But yeah, this is a great one. A lot of dated references in it. A little bit. Menudo, MDC. The Eurythmics. Really? What's the olive oil reference? Is that referencing the Popeye character or? Yes, because she wails. Okay, gotcha. Because it's just, it's a, it's a commentary on their nasaliness. Right. They sing in a really high nasally way. Yeah. So is there anything else we want to say about the album or should we start wrapping up? I think we should start wrapping up. I think this is a great record. It's very good. And there's so many goddamn tracks on it. So many, so many tracks. Probably like when I see non, they might be giant super fans talking about the band. I see Lincoln get talked about a lot. I see flood get mentioned quite often, but I don't really see this one come up like quite as much. And I think it definitely deserves to be mentioned right up there with those other two classics. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, um, it was less like the recordings on it were less recorded to be as part of a single album as more as they were just a collection of things put together. And I think that's part of it. It's wildly eclectic. (laughs) Yeah. You kind of get that feeling, but at the same time, it does gel together too. Yeah, it does. The sequencing on this album is, is, is perfect. Which is tough when it comes to a 19 track Right? Record. Why, why would you yeah. buy an album with less than 19 tracks? Our album has 19 songs. I actually, um, I in, in my time spent with it, I actually kind of, this is something I do because I'm like a weird anal kind of guy. Yeah. I came up with like a abbreviated version of this that I kind of wanted to pitch to you. It's like a 10 track, 24 minute version that I think would be a good primer for anyone who doesn't really have time to wade through all of the more absurdist kind of experiments they throw in between the other like highlights of the record. I could I could see that working. So I wanted to kind of just pitch you the track list and see what you thought as a kind of a more seasoned they might be Giants fan than I am. Yeah, of course. So side A I think would be Everything Right is Wrong Again, Put Your Hand Inside the Puppet Head, Don't Let's Start, Hideaway Folk Family, and Nothing's Gonna Change My Clothes. Mm-hmm. You know, pretty tight, five songs, that's like twelve minutes. Yep. And for side B, open with She's an Angel, Youth Culture Killed My Dog. 
I hope that I would get old before I die, alienations for the rich, and of course end with rhythm section one ad. I feel like that is the exact like uh, set of songs that when I didn't just put full albums on my iPod would have been like the cut down version of this album that I would have put. It's, it's such a, I think that's a great way to interact with They Might Be Giants. Like I love all of the little like absurdist experiments, don't get me wrong. But if you're yeah. looking to get into this record and kind of find that stuff to be a little daunting, I would say focus on these tracks first and then kind of by the time you grow to love these ones, you'll be a lot more open to kind of experiencing that other stuff as well. I feel like we should do that with every album as we go forward. I have versions of that for like every album. Don't worry. That's good. That's good. I'm, I'm glad you you have that prepared ahead of time. I'd be interested in hearing some of your abbreviations too. See where we come down on that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll, we'll get we'll get down to that. We will. Uh, for now, I think we've learned enough here today, right? Yeah. It's good to learn. And hopefully, our listeners learned a little something as well. Speaking of listeners, if you liked what you heard, feel free to rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe to the show so you don't miss our next episode, which will be a review of the band's 1988 sophomore album, Lincoln. You can also write to us at tmbgfancast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at tmbgfancast to keep up with us on social media. That's all we have time for today, though, so I guess all that's left to say is that I've been Trevor Ickrath. I've been Matt Ribeiro. And until next time, do the dumb things you gotta do. Touch the puppet head. Put your hands on 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 the puppet head. Put your h